Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. Last week, we, we told you we were going to be going through Psalm 23 for the next four weeks, so this is week two of that. But for this morning, we're going to really focus on what it means to be lost. Because as David is looking back on his life, he says he was lost. And we can all relate with that, can't we? I mean, if, if, if there was one phrase that just grabbed me, and I missed it the first few times I'd heard it, and then when we were warming up, I heard it, and then I heard it again, and I started crying. I was like, oh, it's not a good idea to start crying before the message. Um, but when he said, my God is a dumpster diver who jumps in head first, I was like, oh, I've been there and I've seen him jump for me when I didn't deserve it. Or at least when I thought I understood what deserving means. And that's where we're headed this morning. We're going to talk about who our God is. And David, as he's looking back at his life in Psalm 23, he knows God. He knows himself too. And he's gotten to the point where he can start to not take himself so seriously, or he's learned to lower the bar for himself because God lifts him up. So I'm going to pray for us as we get started. Uh, Kim let me know, as I so often do, I forgot the offering during family business. That's why they never let me do family business, I think. (laughs) So I'm going to pray for the uh, offering, and then we're going to jump in, and um, I want you to open up your Bibles to Psalm 23 right after. Father God, We surrender this morning these offerings, not just the money, but our hearts, the best offering we could give you, Lord, ourselves. So we offer you this time in this uh, sanctuary because we want to hear you. So we surrender all to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to talk about what it means to be lost. And um, in that framework... There is a passage which you've heard that says, we all like sheep have gone astray. You ever heard that? You ever heard that phrase? And you may think, well, I don't, like we talked about last week, because we're talking about this world of shepherds and sheep, and that is not something that's familiar with us. So we have to grab onto things that are familiar. And have you ever heard of a stray? Do you have a stray in your house now? whether it be a cat or a dog, or I don't know what other kind of strays there are. Those are the two main ones I know about. But most of us find a way to get strays. And so um, I am very familiar with strays because I am one. But I wanted to, to take it even a little bit closer to home and talk about strays because the way dog strays are are much like us, much like David was. Um, I've shared about this particular dog before. Um, this dog lives in infamy in our home, not anymore, uh, which I'll explain to you, but we had this Dalmatian. If you ever had a Dalmatian, you know where I'm headed already. You've seen commercials, they look cute, you're like, oh, they were the firemen, but they, they're a very unique dog. There's a reason that a lot of families do not have Dalmatians. Uh, one thing is they're, they're horrible with children, like they attack children. So if you see Dalmatians and you have children, stay away from them. They're cute in firehouses because there's no children there. 
Um, we had a, uh, a moment where we were driving down, just Steph and I, no children yet, and we're driving down to the beach, and there's this stray dog. And so that was at the time when I would get out and grab these dogs and try to find them their home. So I got out, grabbed the dog, and I look at the tag. I'm like, oh, it's not that stray. He's just three houses away. So I bring him up to the house. As I'm walking up to the house, the neighbor looks over and says, do you want that dog? So I'm assuming, oh, this dog barks all the time. She doesn't want it around. And I was like, no, we're good. Now, I've left my wife down, down the street, because they live on a slope, down in the car for good reason, because she's always looking for a way to get a dog. She runs. She, she's always wanting a dog. So I walk up, and as she says that, I'm like, oh, I hope she didn't hear. And she did. So my wife starts running up the slope. And I'm like, no, we're, you know, we live in a small place. And, and I'm thinking, you know, you, you're not the one to give this dog away. She said, no, the owners really do want to give the dog away. They've been trying. They're, not, and they're always gone. They're gone right now. So do you want the dog? And I was like, no. And she's like, yes, yes. OK, here's the deal. We'll try the dog out for one week. We'll test the dog out for one week. So we take the dog home, talk to the owners, all that. So we have the, it is the most amazing dog. Sit, boom, all these kind of tricks. Uh, the dog's name was Billy. So you go, bang, Billy's dead. And the dog would turn up and pretend like it was dead. I'm like, this dog's perfectly trained. So after a week, I said yes. And that's when everything fell apart. I, the dog was really well trained. It could keep its act together for seven days. And then after that, that dog, all it wanted to do was take off. We gave it food. We gave it shelter. My wife would run the dog like would kill any normal dog, how often my wife runs. Yet this dog was able to get all of that playtime, all the attention, and yet it always wanted to escape. It always seemed, nothing seemed to be enough. And the dog wasn't very smart, but the dog didn't know that, but the dog still took off thinking it knew what it should be doing. So we put the dog in our house, and the dog ended up destroying every single casing around the window and every casing around every door. And when I say every, I literally mean every casing, the ones up the side, the ones at the top, the one, every one of them, ripped them all up to the point where I just stopped fixing them because it was pointless. And it wasn't like cheap plastic, it was like this old wood because we were renting this old little place. Ripped them all up and would escape. So then we got the dog a harness and put the dog outside. Well, first we, we had the harness to the dog on the inside, but then the dog blasted through a window and I came home with my dog swinging like a pendulum outside the window in the harness. Always getting lost. This is, what, this is why we call dogs stray dogs sometimes. And so it just got to the point where we were going away on a trip and, and I didn't know how to keep this dog here. I mean, the dog on, on Halloween had it in its little harness outside of the front door, came back, and like Jesus with the linens, the strap was there, still locked, and the dog was gone. <laughs> the dog, we, the, the pound knew us because we, we put one of those chips in the dog. And so the, they always knew to contact us. So I was just driving there all the time because that's why I'd have to pick up the dog, my stray dog. And we, we're going away on this trip. We build, I build this eight-foot metal fence, eight-foot. And as we're walking up, Steph, who never wanted to let go of the dog, looked up and said, this is never going to hold the dog. She knew. This dog, the final straw 
was driving down the street, and the dog would always escape. And I remember driving down El Camino Real in San Clemente, and there's my dog running. Doesn't have any clue where he's going, but just running. That's what we do, right? And like my dog, we end up in a situation when, when we do find our way back home or somehow run into it, we have markings all over us because we've been hit by cars. So my dog, my dog got hit by so many cars. There was always, like, whatever that uh, material is, I, I want to call it rubber, but I know it's supposed to be more um, technical than that, but rubber all over my dog's face because literally it would get hit by cars. And that's us. And that was David, hit by a car. So as we look at this passage, I want you to go deep into that feeling, that, that understanding of you having no clue where you're going. <laughs> that like sheep, we realize we go astray. We go off on our own. We think we know what we should be doing, and then we end up in some random place. And then we ask this question. What does God think of us when we mess up? Now that word mess up, that's not the original word I put in there. And I, I try to be very careful with the words that I use because I don't want to distract us from the message. But at the same time, I want to make sure that we're using a word that's accurate. A word that we feel. Because when people mess up, they don't go, oh, I messed up. They say, I screwed up. Or something that if I use those words, you'd really be distracted. But the phrase that stuck out to me was, how does God view us when we screw up? Because my dog, whenever my dog returned, I would be like, oh, poor Billy. No, I let go of fury, talking to the dog, arguing with the dog. Dog couldn't understand anything, but I felt like I needed to do that because that's what you do when somebody messes up, right? You let them know you messed up. This is how it should be. And so we assume that's how God reacts with us. Well, I messed up. I screwed up. So... God must be furious with me. In fact, he's probably just like, look, you can't stay here anymore. You just keep messing up over and over again because that's what I would do. So that must be what God does, right? That's not how it is. So open up your Bibles, if you could, to Psalm 23. And we're going to focus on just one part. We're going to focus on just he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, but we're really going to focus on him restoring our soul. But to put it, but to make sure that we're all in the same place, the same place as David is, as he's looking back at his life. And if we were to be in David's place and go back to the moments where he didn't trust God with Saul, or the moments when he just kept going deeper and deeper into the, into the dumpster with Bathsheba and then Uriah, and then with his children, and then with his men. I don't know what those dumpster moments are for you, but they feel probably a lot like this from Romans chapter 7. So the trouble is not with the law, for it's spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I'm all too human. I'm a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Actually, it just disappeared off my screen. Could you put it up there, the second part, Steve? Somehow it just got disconnected from the internet. 
when it goes up, if you could tell me, because the eyes in the back of my head aren't working right now. Thanks, ma'am. So I'll read this from here, and then I'll hopefully go back to this. Oh, it's the first one? Can you go to the next slide? And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Does that sound familiar? It does for me. And that's why when I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about giving it, I thought, am I really qualified to be doing this? Am I really qualified to be sharing? Because I, I've made a decision, the elders, our staff know this, that if, if there's a Sunday morning where I feel like this message isn't something that God has provided, if it's not from Him or if I'm not familiar with it, then I'm just not going to teach. We're just going to keep doing worship, we're going to pray, we're going to open our Bibles and read Scripture, but there's no reason to have someone talk if they shouldn't be sharing. But as I thought about Romans 7, I thought, there may be no one more qualified to give this message than me. Because that's me. It happens not just every day, but several times a day where I feel lost. I'm like, wait, I knew where I was supposed to be. How did I end up here? And so that gives us context for the song. So right here, David says, He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Now what we typically do with God's Word is we turn it, twist it, so that it fits us. So we hear restores my soul, and that sounds so familiar to us in English, and we're like, ah, oh, restoring my soul, that sounds so good. Like when I'm feeling down, he's going to lift me up. When I'm feeling depressed, he's going to make me joyful. That's not what that is. That's not the original language. And that's why it's so important for us to not just read the Bible, but really read it in context. And a great way to look at this is to pay attention to what happens right after that passage, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Those are connected. You can't separate them. To restore means to bring back. It means to return. It means to physically grab something and take it somewhere else. Take it back to where it started. So if Billy's lost, if I'm going to shove, which is the word there, if I'm going to shove him, not shove, but shove, then I'm going to bring him back. I'm going to go and grab him. I'm not going to like put up little things, come over here, I'm over here. I'm going to go and physically grab him. And so... When David is saying this, he restores my soul, he's saying, he brought me home. It's, it's a causative form of the verb, which means that the action is done for us. If you don't hear anything this morning, I want you to hear that. God does it for us. When we're lost, when we, we think of Romans 7, I should be doing this, but I'm doing that. God is the one that restores us. He's the one that brings us back. You can't do it. Did you know that? 
Did you know that you are incapable of going home? That is only God that draws us there. And not only do you, do you know that for yourself, do you know that for other people? I can't believe that person's doing that. I can't believe this person's doing that again. I can't believe my son, my daughter, my dad, my friend, my brother, my sister, my neighbor, my enemy. Are they really going to do that again? We think they should know better, right? We keep expecting something different. But David, looking back at his life, sees this pattern over and over again of him getting lost. And he sees a pattern over and over again of him not being able to get on the right path. But God comes and gets him. Because with a lost sheep, as it, all the people here know at David's time, and David himself knows more than anyone, with a lost sheep, you have to go and get that sheep because that sheep will not come back on its own. It is incapable. In fact, this is what happens with sheep. They will go, so they will go out. They will get lost because that's what they do. They'll go on some different trail. And then when they're lost, instead of trying to find their way back, they just freak out. They usually will go and find a, a rock or a bush and they'll just put their head in the bush and then they'll start bleeding. Mah, 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 making that noise like that's going to fix something. And what that does is tell all of the predators, I'm here, come eat me, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like the last thing a sheep should do, but that's what they do. So the shepherd, shepherds who love their sheep, they will wake up and they'll just look outside. And if they see buzzards, if they see vultures circling, they're like, oh no, here we go again. So they'll go out and count their sheep. Remember that passage? Who if they have 99 sheep, but one goes astray? So the shepherd comes out, counts all the sheep. If one is missing, or sometimes two or three, he goes. He follows that because sure enough, he's going to find his sheep there. And when he gets there, the sheep has its head in a rock or in a bush, and it's making that noise. And it's so traumatized that he can't just lead the sheep back. Like the sheep can't walk because it's just freaked. Have you been there before where you're so paralyzed, you, you could not get home if you knew where to go? And so the shepherd has to grab the sheep, put them on its shoulder, and bring them back. That's what it means to shuv. That's what it means to go and get. And that's what God does for us. That's our God. Do you know him? That is who David is talking about. In fact, this is a translation that I love. It's how the Armenians translated that passage. They say this. In their, in, in their classic translation. He brings me from the wrong path to the right path. Whew. If I was much of a poet, I would put that in my poem as I look back on my life. Because so many times I thought I knew where I was going, I'm heading this direction, and he grabbed me and put me on the right path because I was incapable of doing it on my own. This is God's nature. This is what he does. Listen to how he describes, Jesus describes his love for us. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will then yell at the dog, yell at us, scream at us, tell us what we did wrong. Tell everyone else what we did wrong. Give us a timeout. Turn his back on us. No, it doesn't say that, does it? 
This is how Jesus describes how he feels towards us. What his heart is towards us when he gets us back home. When he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. This is where we get theological. And theological is just another way to say, well, how does God think? How does God feel? Well, God's made it clear, hasn't he? He will come and seek us out. Jesus said, I have come to seek out the lost and to save. And so here, in John 6, I want to be really direct and use Jesus' words. He says, no one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws him and gives him the desire to come to me. And then I will raise him up from the dead at the last day. Did you know that? Did you know that no one is able to come to the Father? None of us have that ability. It is God's love. So if there is something inside of you, some kind of radar or something that tells you, I know I'm not home or I know I'm off the path and I want to be on the right path. I want to be near God. You can't take credit for that feeling. You can't take credit for that desire. God has placed that within you. Isn't that awesome? (laughs) Isn't that amazing to think of your children or your parents or your friends that don't know him? And to know that all you have to do is say, God, please pursue them. Go and get them. That takes a lot of pressure off of you. Because if you try to be the one that gets in there, you're going to mess it up. Have you been there before? Steph was on a plane. My wife, she's flying out to see uh, Bree, who just had a baby. And she's flying out there, and she's in this seat. And this guy who's in the middle, his life is just a disaster. And she said, well, I guess it's time to go to work. (laughs) And then she said, what am I thinking? I can't do this. Only God can do this. And so she changed her whole approach, realizing she can't say the right thing or be the right person. So many of us kick ourselves for our influence. I'm not enough of a light to people in this world. God is the one that draws them. That's what we need to be seeking out. That's what we need to be asking God for. God, would you please go and grab them? In fact, in John 6, that word, that word means to drag. Like when when they caught the fish and they had the whole net and they were dragging it, it's the same word. So in John 6, no one is able to come to me unless the Father who sent me attracts and draws them. Draws them. That word draw means to drag. God is the one who drags us to him. So when you have that, that sense that you want to come home, that is God dumpster diving. That is God placing that in your heart, telling you it's time to come home. This, if we understand this truth, will set us free, as it says in John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Because when you leave here, you're going to go back to your old way of thinking. Oh, I messed up, or that person messed up, and so they need to be punished, and this needs to happen. That is not our God. That is not the way he created us to be. He definitely didn't create us that way for us to have that relationship with him. He wants us to know that he joyfully wants us home. 
and he will come and he will grab us. Now the sheep can keep wandering. The sheep can just keep running from the shepherd. It happens all the time. In God's word, he's very clear about that, that we need to make the decision of who our shepherd is. When we make that decision, then we're giving him permission to come and seek us out. But even that thought, it's, it's like a mystery. It's so hard to even describe. Even that desire to want him as your shepherd is him drawing you to him, him dragging you to him, bringing you back home. And you're going to need to know that. You're going to need to remember that when you mess up. And I'll close with this. Yesterday, with my kids, and this is a primary moment, <laughs> after this whole situation happened, I thought, I can't share this message tomorrow. And then I realized from that situation, I'm the perfect guy to share this message. So we have this, the details don't even matter. I mean, you can, you can sub in the details, but I go to pick up my kids, uh, my boys from surfing, and as soon as I pick them up, I'm already yelling at them. And then I'm yelling at them. And then I'm cussing at them. Then I'm yelling at them some more. And they're like, why are you being so angry with us? And of course, I gave a very good reason for why I was so angry with them. And then as we're driving home, I'm like, this is not who I want to be. I even made the decision before I went down there that I wasn't going to do this. I was with someone else, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick them up, but I'm, I'm preparing myself right now. Hmm, I'm not going to mess up. I know the right thing to do. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be caring. And as soon as the van door opens, I'm all over them. The thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do, I do. And I'm driving home just feeling defeated. I'm feeling like that sheep. And I, just, I literally wanted to go hide. I didn't even want to talk to them because I didn't want to be reminded of who I was. At this point, it has nothing to do with them. It has to do with me and my failures, me getting lost. So we're driving home. And I just, I'm just overwhelmed to where I really can't do anything. I'm much like that sheep that needs someone to carry him home. And so I sit down and I start praying. Nothing's happening, of course, right? Because you pray, nothing happens. So I pray, nothing's happening. And then slowly, I start to hear. Nothing dramatic, nothing amazing. But I realized that I needed to go and apologize. Now, did I come to some great conclusion on my own? Was that my goodness within me? That's God drawing me home to where I wanted to be. Hey, boys, come here. I got to talk. Hey, come here. Let's, and, okay, I'm in trouble again. So they come into the room, and, and I use the nine words that we always talk about. Guys, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I was blown away by how quickly I went, yeah, of course. I, I literally got to pause. Like, seriously? You're a kid. You're not supposed to forgive that quickly. You should at least kind of like, oh. <sighs> Let me think about it. Or something, but no, they were so quick, and I felt home. I felt home. Who knows what's going to happen in the next two hours? I'm going to have to do this all over again, probably. <laughs> it's what we do. But you need to remember your God. Your God who restores your soul, who brings you back home, who drags you to Him. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are good. And you love us with a reckless love. My name is Greg, for those who don't know me. And every month or two, Boog or Kim will invite me to share a few words at the end. And what a privilege and what a blessing uh, to be able to sit and hear the word 
and then be asked to offer some sort of feedback or insight. And uh, this morning, anytime that happens, I find myself really paying close attention and trying to discern, like, what is it the Lord has for me to share? And uh, this morning, it came through pretty clearly. And I just want to read through the first couple lines of Psalm 23. Most of us probably know it. We've prayed it. We've said it. We've learned it. But it says, the Lord is my shepherd. And David's writing that because he knows the Lord. And I can say that because I know the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And I lack nothing. He makes me lie down by the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And he guides me along the right paths for his, his name's sake. I, I can say that. I can pray that with confidence because I know the Lord. And I pray the same for those of you uh, with us this morning, that you know the Lord and you can say the Lord is my shepherd. But if you don't understand what that means, if you can't say that with confidence, then I would invite you to come forward, talk to any one of us up here, talk to Boog. We'd love to share with you what it means for us to claim the Lord as our shepherd, for you to learn and understand what it means that the Lord wants to be your shepherd as well. And this morning, he may be calling to you personally. And if you feel that, that's the Lord. And he's saying, go down to the front, grab Greg, grab Jer, grab Hoku, grab any one of us, find the handsome guy with the beard and talk to him and say, hey, Boog, what's it mean that the Lord is your shepherd? Because we'd love to share what it means for us and we'd love to pray with you that you could learn and understand what it means for you. Uh, with that, I'm just going to say a quick prayer and then have a blessed Sunday. Lord, thank you that you are my shepherd and that you lead me. What a blessing. My life isn't always right. I make mistakes. We all do. But you still lead me. Amen.